Expectations have been heightened for the Seahawks coming off a surprise playoff season, which means there could be plenty of pressure on a handful of veterans going into the 2023 season. I'll be breaking it all down in a new episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Wanted to make a quick apology yesterday for the sound quality. I actually had a USB cord that went out on me yesterday. That's why I sounded like Darth Vader on the podcast yesterday. But hopefully we've got that remedy now. Ready to rock and roll here. Jam-packed Wednesday episode. Going to be taking a look at some players that have a lot on the line going into the 2023 season. Checking out previous Remington Award winners and whether that means there could be immediate success for Olu Oluwatimi at the center position for the Seahawks and some observations from week two of Seahawks OTAs. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. After winning nine games last year and surprising most people by making the playoffs, the Seahawks have brought in an exciting 10-player draft class. They were aggressive in free agency, adding players like Draymond Jones and Julian Love. They've got a lot of returning talent as well. Geno Smith's back on a new three-year contract. Ken Walker the third, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. There's a lot of excitement in the Pacific Northwest about 2023 and beyond for the Seahawks. And they're going to be going into this year with much higher expectations than they did last year after trading Russell Wilson and releasing Bobby Wagner. Wagner now being back as part of this team in 2023 with those heightened expectations and a really exciting group of rookies and second-year players that the Seahawks are fired up about. There's some pressure on a handful of veterans going into this season, particularly during the offseason program leading up into training camp. Maybe they're players coming back from injuries. Maybe they're players that are on the final year of their contract. Could fit both of those bills, but I was thinking about this on yesterday's episode. We had a really good mailbag question. Which player has the most to prove? going into this offseason and the 2023 season in general. And it got me thinking, which five players would top that list as far as the players that have the most riding on the next couple of months, the next five to six months? And I was able to put together a list of five players. And I want to start off the first one being a player that would check off the injury box as well as heading towards free agency box. And that would be Jordan Brooks, the starting middle linebacker. Now, the reports that we've gotten from Pete Carroll the last couple of months have been pretty positive. The most recent one, it sounds like they think there's a pretty good chance that he may be available early in training camp to at least participate to an extent. That is quite surprising when you consider that he blew out his knee in week 17 against the New York Jets. It was late in the 2022 season. He had surgery in January, so it hasn't been that long since the procedure. That would be a pretty quick return for him, but... They declined his fifth-year option earlier this month. Not a surprise given the injury. Would have been owed more than $12 million fully guaranteed. The Seahawks decided not to do that. And John Schneider has still not picked up a fifth-year option for any first-round pick the Seahawks have made since 
They made that part of the CBA in 2011. Jordan Brooks joining that group of players that doesn't get that fifth-year option. But Carroll's been adamant that he is still part of their future, and I would think that that's going to be the case because this is a player with over 400 tackles in his first three seasons. He has been able to step up as a leader last year with the green dot on his helmet, but he's coming off of this injury. You've got a really fluid situation at linebacker beyond this year because Bobby Wagner and Devin Bush both signed one-year contracts, so all three of those players are heading towards free agency. That would tell you that Jordan Brooks would be the one of those three that they're most likely going to be bringing back, and they want to be part of their foundation moving forward, but he's got to come back and show that he's the same player off of this injury. So that's why I have him at number five and not higher on this list, just because he has been really productive, still a very young player at 25. But I think he's got a lot riding on this season. And speaking of fifth-year options, coming in at number four on my list, go to the offensive side of the football, different circumstances. Noah Fant had a little bit of a knee injury late last year, but he didn't miss any games, caught 50 passes with the Seahawks. He had a really sluggish start in terms of catching the football, wasn't heavily utilized in the passing game in the first half. Second half, it felt like he came alive a little bit more. Finished with four touchdowns. Not necessarily the production many, including myself, were expecting from him coming to Seattle, but he was much improved as a blocker, and I think that gives him a fighting chance to play his way into Seattle's long-term plans. They actually picked up his fifth-year option after acquiring him as part of the Russell Wilson trade, and so clearly the Seahawks wanted a little longer audition so they could figure out is this kid going to be part of our future? And just like Brooks, he's only 25 years old. He's a former first-round pick at 250 pounds. He's got rare athletic traits that you don't find at the tight end position. He did improve as a blocker last year. They were able to use him some in line. He was able to play as an H-back and played some out of the slot as well to utilize his athleticism, his ability to win down the seam. But you've got to get a little better production from him in the passing game, in my opinion, for him to be a player that's going to be prioritized to bring back, especially with some of the other big contracts that are coming up. And so I think there's a lot riding on the season for Fant. What does help his cause, though, is that Colby Parkinson is going to be a free agent as well. Will Disley's entering the last year of his deal next season, and he's got a big cap hit, depending how Will plays this year. Fant may end up being the one player from that group that they feel like they need to bring back, but he's got to prove that this year by being more consistent in the passing game, and some of that will fall on Shane Waldron to get him involved. At number three on my list, staying on offense, much different circumstances than the other two players I've mentioned here. D. Eskridge is coming off of injuries. He's missed a bunch of games his first two seasons, but the biggest thing that jumps out to me is when he's been healthy. He's been a non-factor for the most part. We're talking about 17 receptions and under 200 receiving yards, one touchdown in 20 games. He has not been able to become part of this offense with any consistency, even when he has been healthy. And maybe more disappointingly, considering circumstances, he hasn't been able to show anything really on special teams. There were a couple decent kick returns last year before he broke his hand and ended on injured reserve where he was at the rest of the regular season and their wild card matchup against the 49ers. He missed a bunch of games, second straight year. They draft Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round. So you would think that that takes the number three receiver spot out of the picture for Eskridge. That doesn't mean that he can't play his way into a role on offense. If he can stay healthy, though, he's really playing not just for you know, playing for his entire rookie contract. He is playing to be on this roster at the start of the season. And I don't think it is a given with the addition of Smith and Jigba that D. Eskridge is on this roster 
at the end of August, early September. He's going to have to stay healthy, and he's going to have to show he can do something on special teams because that is where he is going to make his money right now and earn that roster spot, which he hasn't been able to do the first two years. Second round pick, he was able to stick around. He's a great athlete. Those traits are visible, but he is going to have to play much better when he's on the field and really contribute to have a chance to make this team. And for the last two players that top my list, different types of situations. They both had injuries, differing viewpoints on that. But Daryl Taylor comes in at number two for me. And his is more about what I see on the field rather than the injuries. And he's going to be a restricted free agent next year because he missed his whole rookie season. So Seattle's got a little bit more flexibility there, a little bit more control over what happens with Daryl Taylor. But he's got to show he's more than a one-trick pony, that he can just win upfield as a rusher and get some strip sacks. Those have value, but can he show improvements defending the run? Can he show consistency with his hand usage developing some counters off of that speed rush. If he's able to do a little bit of those two things, he's got a chance to be a really solid starter for a long time in the NFL. But he lost his starting job after just four games last season because he couldn't hold up against the run. Pete Carroll said he's gotten stronger. We're going to find out if that's truly the case once we get into training camp, into the preseason, early in the regular season, how he holds up at the point of attack. If he makes some strides there, he could still be a long-term starter for the Seahawks. If not, they've drafted Derek Hall and Boy Mafe the last two years. They have other players they're going to be willing to give opportunities that are under club control on rookie contracts for the next several seasons. So there's a lot of pressure on number 52 to go out and perform. And I think number one is not going to surprise anybody. It's got to be Jamal Adams at the top of this list. He has the most to prove on a number of fronts. He's got a first off prove he can stay healthy. We're talking about a player that's had two surgeries for torn labrums. Last year, he tore his quad tendon, a severe injury that some guys don't make it back from. He's had his fingers fused. It's been one injury after another for him. So just keeping him on the field is going to be the first thing. Can he prove he can stay healthy? this season for the Seahawks. And then when he's on the field, can he prove that he's anywhere close to the player that he used to be? He was a second team all pro his first year in Seattle, nine and a half sacks, a record for defensive backs. He is such a unique talent when you know how to deploy him. I feel like Clint Hurd had a really good game plan for him last year that we didn't get to see because he got injured in the first game of the season. Now they're going to get another opportunity here it's really going to boil down to can he stay healthy and is he anywhere close to the same player after this severe injury, all the different injuries that he's had. He's got cap hits north of $20 million each of the next two seasons. And so if he's not able to stay healthy or play at the level the Seahawks expect of him with what they're paying him, they're going to have a really difficult decision to make next year that likely be leaning towards moving on from him. So he's playing for his future beyond 2023 and maybe his NFL future when you're talking about the durability. So certainly Joel Adams would top that list as far as players that I think have the most to prove for the Seahawks. Speaking of having something to prove, Olu Oluwatimi wants to prove that he's the Seahawks franchise center, something they have not had since they traded Max Unger to the Saints. I'm going to be looking at previous Remington Award winners and why it may point towards a really good chance of Oluwatimi being successful for the Seahawks early on in his NFL career. We'll get to those here in a second on our Wednesday edition 
of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the Built Bar. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices but you don't want to compromise on taste, Built Bars and Built Puffs are the perfect solution. Covered in 100% real dark chocolate and coming in incredible flavors such as churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros such as 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait to get a box. For years, we've been telling you to order at Built.com, but now you can go get Built Bars at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while ordering specialty flavors at Built.com. Head on over to Walmart. You can get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're near Sam's Club, go in and get a 13-bar box with other hit flavors such as brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening nearby in Montana or overseas in Portugal. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to make Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers out there, tomorrow I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. The two of us will continue to dive into the rookie class with Jarek Reed and maybe some cops for some late-round picks that could suggest a chance of success for him down the road for the Seahawks. And we'll have some more discussion about OTAs coming out of tomorrow's open practice as well. You won't want to miss it. The Seahawks brought in 10 players as part of their new draft class. There's a lot of excitement and buzz surrounding a number of these players, but abnormally for a fifth round pick, normally when we're talking fifth round picks last year, Tariq Woolen was getting a lot of buzz because of the freak athlete that he is and, and how well he played during the off season activities going into training camp. But oftentimes your day three picks are not going to get a ton of attention. Olu Oluwatimi though is an extremely decorated player for a fifth round pick. We're talking about the Remington award winner and the Outland trophy award winner. So he was the best center in the country in college football playing for the playoff bound Michigan Wolverine. He was the best interior lineman in the country. He was voted number one for both of those. That's pretty impressive. You don't normally see players like that, especially when they were standouts of the senior bowl on top of it. You don't normally see players like that last to the fifth round. And it got me thinking, looking back at the last eight to 10 years, how have Remington Award winners, the best centers in college football, how have they fared at the NFL level? And what might that tell us about what Oluwatimi is going to accomplish in Seattle, or at least early on, what to expect from him? And I think it's interesting. Would you look at the list of Remington Award winners dating back to 2015, Ryan Kelly from Alabama, he's had a really good NFL career for the Colts. He's had a few injuries mixed in there, but when he's been healthy, this has been a Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber player. So check that one off. That was a really good draft pick for the Indianapolis Colts in the second round. Pat Elfline from Ohio State has had a lengthy career. He's never been a star lineman by any means, but he has been in the league for quite some time. He has started a lot of games so again, another player that is a solid NFL player that was the Remington Award winner and played significant snaps early in his NFL career. 
The first dud of this group is 2017, and that's Billy Price from Ohio State, another Buckeye that is still hanging around, but struggled with the Bengals, was with the New York Giants last year, struggled in the games that he played there, has had a tough NFL career to this point, but was a very good college player. You look at the rest of the list, though, Price is really the only one that jumps out as a bust from this group in terms of NFL players. Garrett Bradbury just got a second contract with the Minnesota Vikings. He's still a young player that could become a pro bowler or an all pro player. He's been in the fringe of being at that level anyway, the last couple of years, Tyler Biotish from Wisconsin, the Dallas Cowboys have enjoyed having him in the middle of their offensive line. Landon Dickerson moved to guard the 2020 winner of the Remington award and he was a starter in the Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles last year. Had a great season for the Eagles. And Tyler Linderbaum, first-round pick for the Ravens a year ago out of Iowa, had a really good season for the Ravens as a rookie. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is the track record, I know that that doesn't just necessarily say that Oluwatimi is going to come in and be a great NFL player. Maybe ends up being like a Pat Elfline who, like I said, has not been a star, but he has started a lot of games in the NFL. He's played multiple positions as well in the league. Oluwatimi doesn't have that going for him. He is a center-exclusive player, which Matt Berry, the Seahawks' senior director of player personnel, attributed as part of the reason he fell to the fifth round because he doesn't have the positional flexibility that a lot of teams are looking for. But still, only one player on that list, Billy Price, didn't really live up to expectations. Elfline maybe could have been a little bit better in the NFL, but there's a bunch of guys on there that are Pro Bowl caliber centers. There's a couple guys that have all pro ability in that group. So the Seahawks should feel pretty good about their chances of Oluwatimi being able to come in. And, and we've talked about this a lot on the show. He's played over 3,500 snaps at the center position in college, and it's not just the fact that he's played a lot. There's a ton of guys at the college level that play a lot of snaps, but this guy was able to excel in two dramatically different systems, an air raid scheme at Virginia and a pro-style system with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and he was able to just jump in seamlessly last year, and he started making the line calls right away. That is not an easy thing to do. Already seeing him doing that in Seattle at their OTA practices. So he is a quick learner. He's a guy that really understands the game. He understands what defenses are trying to do. Able to get his teammates in a really good spot. And I think physically, he's not the best athlete at the position. Not a guy that is going to wow you with his lateral quickness or his pure strength. He's not a mauler, but he could knock guys off the ball time to time. And he can win with power. And he's such a savvy pass protector. No sacks given up last year for the Wolverines. I just look at the body of work and the experience that he has playing for two FCS schools or two FBS schools, two Power Five programs, one of the best ones in Michigan last year playing in two different schemes. And it just seems like this kid is poised to push for playing time right away. Like many of these predecessors that won the Remington Award, most of those players that I had, I'll put the list up one more time, most of these players were starters either on day one or very early in their rookie season. They were thrown into the lineup. You get a guy like Landon Dickerson who was coming back from an injury. He still ended up getting into the lineup pretty quickly as well. 
So most of these players were able to come to the league and they were able to have similar success. They were able to get into the starting lineup. And I believe Seattle is viewing it the same way with Oluwatimi, and he's going to have some good competition there. Evan Brown played well at center two years ago for the Detroit Lions, only gave up eight pressures, starting a bunch of games, replacing Frank Ragnow, who's one of the better centers in football. And Brown had a really good start at center last year, but he still hasn't played a ton of games, and he's a newcomer to this system just as Oluwatimi is. And so I feel like this is really a pretty even battle at this point, heading towards training camp. And I've talked about it several times in the show. I just feel like the rookie has got a little bit of an edge here when you're just considering all of the good things that Oluwatimi brings to the table, the experience already coming from a pro-style system, and that decorated resume. It doesn't mean everything, and yet it means a lot when you see the track record of players coming into the league that award, unlike some of the others in college football, it seems to have a pretty good hit rate. And so the Seahawks have to be feeling good about Oluwatimi's chances of coming in and being able to not just compete for this starting job, but win it early, potentially as a week one starter. Seattle's had success with fifth round picks at multiple positions. Getting into the lineup early, I think Oluwatimi's got a very good chance to be that next guy when you consider his entire skill set, the football savvy instincts, the communication skills, the complete package. He's not like most rookie centers coming into the league. And again, I'm still, I'm really stunned that he fell to the fifth round. I know he doesn't play guard, but I think Seattle's going to be very happy that he fell into their laps at that position. When you consider the company he's keeping with previous Remington award winners and his ability in the run blocking and pass protecting department, he's got a real chance to be an impact player in this offensive line right away for the Seattle Seahawks. OTAs are going to continue tomorrow at the VMAC. Now, this time of year, there's not a ton that you can take from these practices. There's no contact allowed. Players are not supposed to be making plays on the football, at least not in traffic making plays in the football. And that goes back to the contact issue. There's a lot of limitations, a lot of red flags. It's not real football. But as we've talked about time and time on this podcast, there are plenty of things, if you're paying close attention, that you can observe that have meaning going towards the football season. Last year, Tariq Woolen is just one example. You could see the pure speed. You could see when he was able to make plays on the football. Again, there are limits on what players are allowed to do, but you could see the hands. You could see the explosiveness and the speed. There were things that were tangible that you believed were going to translate to real football, and we saw that from Tariq Woolen. So this is still a time of year that you can evaluate players. And I think there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that have value. And that leads to the first topic I want to talk about here, looking at this second week of OTAs, just some takeaways, looking at some of the things said by coaches as well as players. One thing that jumped out to me from Shane Waldron, we were just talking about Oluwatimi on this podcast and his chance to win the center job. He's not the only rookie lineman that is going to be thrust into a competition to start right away. Anthony Bradford of the right guard spot, a lot of people believe that he's got a really good chance to win that job. But I'm bullish at this point, and we'll have a chance to talk more about this as we really dive into the competition. But I'm bullish on Phil Haynes from the perspective that last year he played over 450 snaps for the first time in his career. He was inconsistent at times, especially in pass protection. 
but we got to see what he could do with his first real extended action. The three games that he started, Seattle averaged almost 120 rushing yards per game. And I think that Phil Haynes had a big part of that, his ability to move guys off the ball. He's a former basketball player. You can see the athleticism in the zone blocking game as well. I just feel like at this point that Phil Haynes has a, a decent stranglehold on that starting job. And when we get to August and training camp, maybe Bradford quickly makes up that ground. But it feels like this is a situation the Seahawks really want him to win that job. They gave him this one-year $4 million deal after platooning with Gabe Jackson last year. And Shane Waldron said that he really gained a ton of confidence from those snaps that he had last year. And you can see on the field, and I think that that is rubbing off now with some of these young linemen. He's taken Anthony Bradford under his wing, even though Bradford's trying to take his job. This is the first time that Haynes has legitimately had an opportunity to start for the Seattle Seahawks in his career, and he is yet willing to be that mentor figure. He is willing to dish out the things that he has learned under Gabe Jackson, some of the other players the Seahawks have had on this offensive line. And it's weird because before last year, he hadn't even played 200 regular season snaps in his career. It's not like he's got a ton of experience himself, but he is one of the seasoned vets in this group because Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are going into year two. Yeah, they started every game last year, but they're still only in their sophomore season. Damian Lewis is the old man of this group. Evan Brown has 24 career starts in his belt in Detroit. They've got a couple of rookies in Oluwatimi and Bradford. I mean, this is a very young offensive line. So even though Phil Haynes is only 27 and he hasn't played a ton of snaps, he's at least been in the league for four years. And this is his third year in this system working with Andy Dickerson. And I think that's my big selling point here. He has been able to work with Dickerson behind the scenes and last year was able to really get the exposure on the field, get that experience that injuries prevented him from getting earlier in his career. And so I think you put that together with his maturity, his leadership skills, and I think there's a really good chance that Phil Haynes, maybe he doesn't hold on to the starting job all year, but this is a really good opportunity for him as still being a pretty young player who has untapped potential to really grab a hold of this opportunity that injuries took away from early in his career. Gabe Jackson comes in. He didn't get the chance to start the last couple of years. This is his best chance yet to really make his mark on Seattle's offensive line. And he's got the strength. He's got the athleticism. If he's adding the confidence and the leadership into that, uh, the Seahawks have got to be feeling pretty good about where they're at at right guard. And if Bradford comes in and beats him out for that job, great. You've got a rookie in the lineup that's under club control for the next four years. That might be your ideal scenario. But Haynes is a homegrown player. He's a guy you've worked with the last four years, especially Diggers in the last two years. You want to see him have success. And so the Seahawks certainly are not going to be upset if the light switch comes on and he plays really well. He's a guy that's impressing with just the actions that he is exhibiting on the field, the leadership that he's bringing to this point. I mentioned D. Eskridge with players that have a lot to prove, and it's interesting because I'm not done talking about him today. OTA is at receiver. It can be difficult to assess whether or not a player is really getting it or if that light switch has come on. Because again, defensive backs, they can't get physical with the line of scrimmage. They can't make aggressive plays on the football. But just listening to the comments that Geno Smith was making about Eskridge, he wasn't necessarily talking about the athleticism and the explosiveness. We know that Speedy D. Eskridge has those physical tools. 
He hasn't been healthy enough to use them, though. Talking about his growth from a mentality and mindset perspective, and Gino understands where he's coming from. Maybe Gino didn't have the injuries. He did tear his ACL earlier in his career. He had his jaw broken by a punch in training camp that ended up ultimately costing him his starting job to Ryan Fitzpatrick. He dealt with that adversity, and D. Eskridge has had those types of things that he's had to try to work through these first two years that have kept him off the field, the inability to be available so Geno Smith can relate to that. And I think that seeing the way that this young man is carrying himself, and he's got another receiver now in the room with him in Jackson Smith and Jig. I mean, if there's going to be something that's going to light the fire under you to really bring out your A game, if that doesn't do it, then I don't know what's going to. So I think when you look at the comments Geno Smith made, coupled with the fact that we know D. Eskridge has the athletic tools, we know that he can create after the catch, those are things that he showed in flashes in a couple of games, but then he disappeared or he got injured. They need consistency. They need him to show up on special teams. So it's encouraging that after the last two seasons, his first two off seasons where he was missing so much time with toe injuries and soft tissue injuries, it's encouraging right now that we're hearing positive reports. We're seeing positive plays on the field where his speed is on display and he's healthy. That is certainly a positive development. He's got a lot that he's going to have to work through here to really build himself a role in this offense with Smith and Jigba coming to town. He's probably at best your number four receiver, but that could be a very dangerous number four receiver that can still carry the football in jet sweeps, that can make an impact on kick and punt returns. There is still a role there. It might not be what the Seahawks envisioned when they drafted him in the second round a couple of years ago, but there's still something that he can chase there. If he can stay healthy, there is a way that he can contribute for this football team on offense and special teams. So I'm cautiously encouraged is the way to put it here. Cautiously encouraged by what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing from teammates on the D. Eskridge front. Maybe now is the time that he puts things together. And if he does, and Jackson Smith and Jigba comes in and contributes – that is as good of a top four receivers in the NFL as you're going to find. And oh, by the way, you've got Derek Young coming back as well. That is a very deep, talented group. If Eskridge can unlock his potential and stay healthy, some big ifs there. But certainly a player the Seahawks haven't given up on yet. And if he continues to look good during their offseason program, Bill's momentum going into training camp, he might be able to finally put things together a little bit in his third season with the Seahawks. And the last thing that I'm going to mention here, I'm going to put new in quotes because one of these guys has played a lot of snaps for the Seattle Seahawks, but when there's not a lot going on this time of year, it is nice to see a few of your newcomers out there making plays on the field. And in the case of Bobby Wagner and Julian Luff, there's been a few clips that have been floating around where they have been able to get their hands on the football. And I know fans want to see that stuff because we saw what happened the last couple of seasons, particularly last year, teams that were able to take advantage of the middle of the defense at times, some of the issues that the Seahawks had with their linebackers, even at 32 going on to 33. Maybe not the athlete he used to be, but Bobby Wagner still has the instincts, and when he's able to get in position, he can still make plays on the football. And any positive reports that you can see on Julian Love, who's getting those first-team snaps right now at strong safety with Jamal Adams not participating in OTAs, that's going to get Seahawk fans fired up too because there's plenty of fans out there. We had a mailbag question about it yesterday. Why are we paying a third safety that kind of money when we've got Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs and we've got other positions that may still be much bigger needs? 
you're getting a chance to see what the Seahawks were enamored by there. They wanted to add the best players and get the best bang for their buck they could in free agency. And they felt that Julian Love was one of the best all-around players that fit what they were looking to do on defense. And he can play slot cornerback at a starter caliber level. He can play both safety positions at a starter caliber level. He's got ball skills. He'll come up and hit you. We're not going to see that part of the game right now, but we can certainly see the coverage instincts. We can see the ball skills, at least on the plays where you're allowed to make plays on the football. And so we were able to see that on a few of these practice clips. And so that's got to be something that gets Seahawks fans fired up, seeing a newcomer like Love being able to make some of those plays and give you the confidence, hey, if Jamal Adams does miss a little bit of time early in the year, God forbid if he ends up missing a bunch of time this year because injuries have been such an issue, you now have a very capable replacement starter that also can play free safety for you if need be. If Quandre Diggs gets banged up, you can slide him back there. That type of flexibility there's not a lot of safeties that can play both safety spots at a high level and also play slot corner at a high level. He can even play outside corner if you wanted to. So he brings all of those things to the table. Being able to see that in the field, that's a big deal. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, shout out to him. He gets his first touchdown. I don't know, who knows? Maybe he scored a few others during OTAs, but he got his first touchdown posted by the Seahawks on their social media account on a deep crosser gets past the defensive backs, catches the ball in stride, and scores six points. The Seahawks made sure to let their fans see that to get him fired up about where he fits into this offense as a rookie. So again, newcomers, your veterans on defense, your rookie wide receiver getting the touchdown, getting to see some of these new faces making some nice plays on the field is always encouraging this time of year. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be rejoined for our Thursday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Ragg, and the two of us will continue discussing some OTA observations and breaking down Jarek Reed, expectations for him going into his rookie season as a sixth-round pick coming out of New Mexico. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your evening. Go Hawks.